All right. We are back on a very special edition of the Anonymous Eagle podcast. As always, my name is Patrick Leary, joined by Ben Snyder, but we have a very special guest today. Um, he is the lead politics blogger at Esquire. Do I have that title right? Uh, yeah, pretty much, and, yeah. And I think Marquette. right at large is the, is the, the uh, formal title, but yeah. Okay. And then Marquette, class of 75? Yes, sir. Journalism 75. Journalism 75. It's Charles Pierce. Charles, welcome to the podcast. This hey, it's great to awesome. be here. At least we can talk about basketball anyway. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of weird to talk about, especially college basketball uh, during this time, just because, you know, the NBA is actively, you know, negotiating their return, but there's nothing certain about college basketball. But No, not at all. And, uh, you know, I just... I. I do feel, I mean, I feel for all the seniors who didn't get the, you know, didn't get the tournament they deserve, certainly Marcus. But, uh, I mean, I really feel for the kids at Dayton. Because yeah. they had a shot, and it just went up in smoke for them. Yeah, especially just, yeah, who knows whenever that program will be at that level ever again. They were incredible this year. Um, yeah, they played a lot when I was at school, uh, the – they had a lot of regional uh they, well, I mean they have the, the first four now and they do a great job with it. But Dayton was always a first or second round site. Sure. Ben, uh that's probably a good jumping off point. Ben, do you wanna uh get into the, the meat of this? Maybe Ben, you could do a little explanation of sort of why we had Charlie on, besides the fact that he's one of the more famous Marquette uh basketball fans. Um sort yeah. of what we're trying to do a little bit more on the pod this summer. Yeah, basically, I was uh, trying to think of things to fill the gap talking about Marquette basketball, and I kind of got sick of trying to think of different topics for like, oh, what's the program going to look like soon? And then I realized that uh, there's a huge depth of Marquette basketball knowledge out there that maybe some of the younger fans don't necessarily know about. And so uh, thinking about some uh, rather famous graduates that could talk about it, I thought, who better than a sports writer who graduated in the 70s. So, Charles, uh, jumping off of that, uh, I want to ask, what was uh, the Marquette basketball experience like from strictly a student perspective? Uh, it, was an, you know, it was an extraordinary synergy between the identity of Al McGuire's basketball teams and the fans that followed them. I mean, his teams were wild and, 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 and renegade and, and, and off the plum as far as all of college basketball. And so were we. I mean, we, we were, in, everybody involved in the program from the coaches to the players to the fans were all encouraged, uh, to be as, as, to be as eccentric as possible. And I don't think there's any, there was any uh, escapade during my four years there that better exemplified that than the Final Four in 1974, where we, I mean, it was first of all it was it was a great Final Four because we got to see UCLA lose, we got mm. to see David Thompson for the first time, uh, and then we said, oh, we got to see Marquette play for its first national championship. Now they lost, but it was the best weekend of my college of my college life. What were some of the notable moments that happened in that tournament? Well, I think 
you know, the first the first round was in Indiana at uh, Indiana State in the Holman Rose Center where Larry Bird later became famous. And uh, that was uh, we got to see the famous the famous playground legend Fly Williams try to do something against Notre Dame and fail. And then the next uh, what was then the regionals because uh, there are only 32 teams in the tournament then uh, was mm-hmm. was in Alabama. And so we, you know, I was, I was hitching a ride in the bus that carried the band that year. So, <laughs> uh, awesome. wound up in, in Alabama. And, uh, I remember one thing that happened was the first, the opening doubleheader was Notre Dame and Michigan and Marquette and Vanderbilt. And of course that was the Notre Dame team, Digger Phelps's Notre Dame team that had beaten UCLA. And it was probably the favorite in the, in the regionals, and of course Notre Dame was outside of Kentucky, probably the biggest rival that Marquette had, and the only one that they played every year. So we were all down there rooting for Michigan, and Michigan came out, and uh, Campy Russell pretty much beat Notre Dame by himself. And as the game was winding down, and Notre Dame was clearly going to lose, one of the Marquette trumpet players from Michigan, who grew up in Michigan went over to the Michigan side. They did not brought their band and he played hail to the victors as a solo. <laughs> that was, a, I mean, it was just a, a perfect Marquette moment. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That was the year. That was also the year that we played down at Notre Dame. And <laughs> that was that season. Notre Dame football had won the national championship. Uh, Joe Montana was there and that they had won the national championship. But the only reason they had won was because Oklahoma was undefeated and was on probation, so they couldn't win. <laughs> so my college oh. mate, God rest his soul, Bill Richards, uh, was in advertising. So he drew up this big, nice-looking bedsheet sign with a red-covered wagon and footballs for wheels that said, Marquette University says Oklahoma number one boomer sooner. <laughs> and we ran it around the gym at Notre Dame three times before they got a hold of it and ruined it. For us. <laughs> and to, to to the end of his life, Hank Raymond's used to refer to that as the night they locked up a busload of them. <laughs> so anyway, we you know we beat Vanderbilt in a very very good game. Bo Ellis got away. I'll never forget. It. Bo Ellis was a freshman that year. He got away with dunking the ball, even though it was illegal still at that point. Oh, that's right. uh, yeah. Then, then they beat then they beat Michigan by a couple of points in a very very good game. Uh, yeah, seventy two seventy. Yeah, and then we went to we, we you know I got back on the band bus and we went to Greensboro, and I stayed with some friends of mine at a place called the Kings Inn, uh, which was just a you know a motor hotel on the thruway in Greensboro, and the next three days was absolutely legendary. In terms of fan behavior, <laughs> the last thing that happened was we, we conducted a scientific experiment and discovered that a Coke machine cannot float in a swimming pool. There oh, man. And that was the night after about seven of us stayed up late drinking with the manager of the hotel, getting him <laughs> to not charge us all for damages we'd done over the weekend. <laughs> Good if you talk to anybody, anybody from 74 who went on that trip, uh, and it was the first time we'd ever made the final four. Uh, we were there. I wasn't there. I, you know, we weren't there 
the year they they were undefeated and lost to Ohio State. My freshman year, Jim Jones left in the, right before the end of the season. Uh, a year after that, uh, Larry McNeil left right at the end of the season. Uh, so this was our first, you know, the first time that, that Marquette had ever done anything beyond a regional final in the tournament. And it was just, and it was an extraordinary weekend. And of course it was the, uh, it was the year they, it was the year they, they didn't wear, they wore the whites down there, the, the fringed Indian whites down there. Uh, but it was the year they broke out the teal uniforms. Uh, and you know, in the final game, Al got thrown out and we weren't going to be, I think we would have had a much better chance of beating UCLA than beating North Carolina State. In Wait, Greece, pause. I didn't, because, know, I did not know that Al McGuire got tossed from the national championship game. Two Daniel fouls. Oh man. Yeah. He, uh, he got a little, he, he got a little, uh, a little peeved at a charging call, uh, a block charge call on, uh, Marcus Washington. Uh, and he got, yeah, he got, he got dismissed rather rudely, but, uh, you know, we didn't care. <laughs> we didn't care really. <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was a great collective, you know, spirit for the university. I mean, it was just, it was, everybody was on board from the Jesuits yeah. down to us and, and, I mean, you have to remember at that time, there wasn't really a campus. Everything that's been mauled over now was side streets and, and cross streets. Mm-hmm. I had to cross three streets to get to classes in what used to be the business administration building. Mm-hmm. And the J yeah. school was, when I started, was at the corner of 12th and Kilbourne huh. in oh. the old nursing dorm. Right across the street, essentially where the, where the, I guess the northeast corner of the Al is now. That was where. Oh, it okay. Was. Yeah. That's crazy. So, it's changed. With regards to the spirit surrounding the program, you mentioned uh, Jim Jones leaving in your freshman year. First question: Do you think that a team with Jim Jones in the tournament could have won the championship? And two: What was the attitude around campus surrounding that? Very unprecedented decision by him. Yeah, seventy-one, uh, seventy-two team could have won the national championship. There's no question. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, you would have had Jones and Walton, which would have been a great final. But uh, you know, Florida State gave UCLA a run, and Florida State wasn't anywhere near as good as Marquette was that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I, yeah, I think they, I think they, 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 they certainly make a final four that year. They probably should win it. They probably should have won it the year before when they lost to Ohio State in the, the game that Al said it was the only time he ever got screwed without getting kissed. <laughs> the only game Dean Meminger ever fouled out of in his entire career against okay. Ohio State. Wow. Uh, and, you know, Al took, Al took a lot of the edge off Jones leaving when he came out almost instantly with the famous quote of, I looked in his refrigerator and I looked at mine. Mm-hmm. And told him to take the money. And you know, the first game afterwards was a very big, very emotional game against Creighton in the arena. Uh, and you know, they Marquette came out and won the game. They clearly weren't the same team they were before, but they played mm-hmm. pretty well. And I, I'll, I'll remember the game mostly because Larry McNeil's girlfriend got in a came out of the stands and got in a fight with the ref. What? <laughs> and she got arrested. Yeah. This is the kind it's of like stuff a, that happened all the time. 
Oh man, that's like uh, the Providence brother. Uh, that one game in like 2012 or something where he came out and tried that's to trip at the ref. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, I forgot about I forgot about that part. Yeah, I mean that's that's what's been nice about you know pretty much everything since Kevin O'Neill. I mean mm-hmm. the, the 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 you know the mid eighties the Bob Duquette era and stuff. I didn't think they were ever going to come back from that. Yeah. And it was really awful. It was really hard. I mean, it was such a, it was such a part of the place's identity and part, such a part of, of, you know, my four years there that, you know, to watch him stumble around with this really bad coach was, you know, it was hard to follow. What was your experience like with 77, uh, having just been out of school? Yeah. Uh, I was, I was out of school for two years. I was working, I had worked, uh, that summer summer of 76 at my old job in the state forest as a forest ranger, which was my summer job for two years in college. I went back to it. I went, well, I went back to it because I couldn't get hired anywhere. And (laughs) so I saved up all my money. I was going to go to grad school at BC. This is a long story, by the way. And I, (laughs) I had two, you know, I had this mess of money saved up to go to grad school. And when you entered grad school, they gave you two weeks to decide if you wanted to, to like actually go and pay. And I went to classes for two weeks and realized that it just wasn't going to be for me. So mm-hmm. I just basically lived in Boston for the year with some friends of mine, loafed around, tried to find freelance gigs. And that spring, this was 76, 77, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they went, they beat in, they beat Cincinnati and they had that wild game with Kansas State, which I watched. I, I, I watched it in a bar called the Hammond in Boston, which was showing the Notre Dame Kentucky game because that was the regional game at the time. And there wasn't any ESPN. There was no such thing as, as having three televisions with different games on them. So mm-hmm. all I saw was the score rolling in. It kept rolling in. They were down one and up one and down one and up one. They finally won. Uh, then the following weekend, I went to New York with some friends of mine and did the same thing and watched the score from Wake Forest roll in. I got back to my apartment in Boston and what they had, what they did for me, my state, uh, my state job in the, in the, in, uh, in the forest was they would take out my state pension money out of my check every week. And if I didn't stay with the job, they'd send it back to me in a lump sum right around tax time every year, right around March or April. So I get back and in my mailbox is a check for 600 bucks, which was, you know, you know, I was, I was Bill Gates with that kind of money in 1977. So I got a cheap flight to Atlanta, stayed on a floor with about nine other people, you know, managed to get a ticket for the first game from a scalper, which, cost me a lot of my liquid cash but then you know i sat there and watched the 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 jerome whitehead game winner happened right over my head uh, oh man and i watched the second game the carolina vegas game and i was i was looking around and i had i i, I had i had this revelation that unlv had players and boosters but no students. We had all these, these high rollers there who followed the Vegas program. And I was leaving the Omni 
and I had a, you know, I had my Marquette gear on and this guy in, in a red suit jacket, a Vegas fan, must have been 50, came over to me and said, do you, are you a Marquette fan? He said, yeah. He says, here, take this. He gave me his ticket for Monday night because no Vegas way. won. And he flew back to Vegas and just handed me this, handed me this ticket. And I said, all right. So, so I overpaid for, for the semis and didn't pay at all for the finals. That's incredible. And that was just, you know, it was, that was a, that was a great day. That was, that was as happy as I've ever been at a sporting event. It was, you know, you know, with Al leaving and, and the fact that they hadn't played well at the end of the year and, you know, watching the, the absolute joy in the, as the last couple of minutes ticked down, it was, you know, it was great. I mean, it was, well, we went to underground Atlanta that night and I found a, a woman I'd known who had been an, an RA at, uh, O'Donnell when I was living in McCormick and hadn't seen her in a while. And she and her husband were living in Atlanta. And I remember dancing on a table in Muhlenbrinks with her. Uh, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, there was a lot of, of ruefulness to, to it too, because Al had made it plain he was leaving. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was, it was, it was just a, just a really, really, it was really, I know, a, it was really a great night. It was a great night for a lot of different reasons than 74 was. Sure. So, uh, on a quick tangent to the 77 title game, I was rereading some of your old stuff last week and I came across your obituary that you wrote on Grantland for Dean Smith. And in that obituary, I found a little nugget that from 1977 on, you sent him a Christmas card every single year. I did. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. Because he went to, for the four, because he went to the four corners and made that horrible blunder and allowed Marquette to climb, you know, who had blown a lead and were on their way to blowing the game. And he went to the four corners and Al just sat back in his own. There was no shot clock. And finally a sub named Jay Buckley, Bruce Buckley, I'm sorry. And he went to the, he went to the bucket and Bo blocked it and they came down and they scored and that's how they won the game. <laughs> and they went into their own delay. So I was all, I was eternally grateful to Dean for having made that decision. <laughs> he went but, to the four corners. He had reasons. First of all, it had worked through, for him through the whole tournament. And second of all, Phil Ford was hurt, an elbow problem or something. And, uh, so he decided to shorten the game and it didn't work. So yes, I did send Dean a Christmas card every year for about 10 or 15 years afterwards. And he never responded. I take no. it. No, he never <laughs> I don't know if he even ever got him, but because I didn't make, I didn't gloat. I just signed my name. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, so, were there any what if moments in uh, your time, or I guess big heartbreaking moments, maybe in regular season for a big rivalry game, or maybe a different time in the tournament where you think they could have made it farther and they just didn't for one reason or another? Well, I think, I think the, the, uh, the worst, the worst, the most significant loss was when, uh, Dwight Clay hit the jump shot for Notre Dame and, and broke the, the 61 game home winning streak. That was a, that was a big event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Later that same season, Eddie Sutton, uh, brought a Creighton team in and essentially ran the Princeton offense and beat the team that went to the final four. Uh, 
No, I mean, there were, I mean, I think, you know, certainly, if, I mean, the big, the bit, the bit you touched on the biggest what if before, which is basically the what if Jones had stayed. That's mm-hmm. the big one for my four years. Uh, I think the 75 76 team that lost to the undefeated Indiana team was a team that could have won the national title, but they just ran into the, they ran into, you know, the team having the greatest season in the history of college basketball. So mm-hmm. that's another game where Al got ill-timed technicals, by the way. Uh, but no, they, there weren't any, I mean, there were, I mean, we didn't, you know, there weren't any, you know, terrible, you know, deaths or, or, you know, catastrophic injuries while I was there or, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think the, that Notre Dame game, because it was Notre Dame and because, you know, it was the end of the 61 game winning streak, I think that was the biggest shocker of the four years. Okay. So it seems like, uh, I've especially noticed this with, uh, some graduates from like the 70s and 80s that the way they talk about Notre Dame is a little similar to how current students will talk about Madison. Is that, an accurate comparison to you? Yeah, because Wisconsin was terrible when I was there. The two teams that have that have come the furthest since I was there are DePaul and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. DePaul was awful. Uh, Wisconsin was worse. Uh, and they started getting better, actually, in 74-75. I was at the game where Al jumped on the scorer's table. Iconic and moment. The, fa- the father of the Hughes brothers, these giant twins, who played for Wisconsin is flipping Al the bird on the front page of the, right. of the journal sports page. That was a, that was a, a game that year where uh, where Maurice Lu- one of the two games Maurice Lucas won at the bo- at the buzzer. Maurice Lucas, by the way, was my next door neighbor in uh, McCormick for two years. That's oh, awesome. No way. Yeah, he, he and uh, he and, and the Pope, uh, the late Pope Greg Johnson, lived in one of the pie shaped rooms. I lived in eleven twenty eight. They lived in eleven twenty nine. That's way cooler than me saying I live next to Steve Taylor my sophomore year of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Luke was Luke was Luke Luke was my jazz mentor. He had this massive record collection. That's awesome. Forever like saying, "Hey, you got to listen to this, man. It's great." So, uh he was into a lot of like fusion jazz and stuff and weather report and stuff like that. And Steve and I played guy, in very smart guy. Very 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 smart guy. Uh and, uh, again, another guy who left early yeah. went, joined the legendary spirits of St. Louis with Marvin Barnes and Sly Williams. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he beat Wisconsin that year and he beat Long Beach State, which had Tarkanian at the time, oh. uh, in, in the arena at, at the end oh. of the game. What do you, when you look at how the program was in the seventies, and how it is, and how it's been, I don't want to say how it is now, because how it is now is probably not the most accurate comparison to sort of the modern era. Um, how do you, how do you reconcile the two eras? I know you talked about how it was really depressing for about 20 years. Um, how, how do you sort of reconcile the fact that the program was such a big deal in the seventies and in the last, say, Basically, since the start of the Korean era till now, it's been kind of this up and down, um, you know, high points, but and, you know, really dedicated fan base and, you know, a lot of 
money gets put into the program, but there are still sort of these high points and low points. How do you how do you reconcile the two areas? Well, I think one of the really bad things about uh, that that period we talked about earlier in the eighties, the Bob Duquette era, was that Duquette was completely intimidated by the legacy of the program. Sure. That Al was still alive, uh, and he ran away from it. And that started to change with O'Neill and then through Dean. But I think the person I give the most credit to re- of, for reattaching what was to what is was Tom Crean. Sure. Who actively sought out Al, you know, made a big deal of coaching there. May always never shut up about what a, you know, what a legacy and what a great job it was. So I think now there's a, you know, absent the, the horrible change in nicknames, which I will never get used to, <laughs> uh, you know, attaching the, uh, the old, the, the you know, that, the, the golden era of the seventies where, you know, as I, people, I don't, don't know if they know it was the second winningest program in the 1970s behind UCLA. Right. Yep. Uh, Crean went out of his way to create that continuity again, and I give him a lot of credit for that. That's why I wasn't angry when he left. I thought all books were in balance. Sure. You know, he got Dwayne Wade. He got him to the final. He got him to a gift Final Four, which I never thought I'd see again. Uh, and then Buzz was, you know, Buzz had good teams. Buzz got to the got, Buzz got to the Elite Eight. Buzz had some, you know. You know, dancing on the floor at West Virginia, that's an owl move. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was something that was very familiar to we old guys. But um, I think right now, and I think that, you know, nobody nobody expected them to be an independent forever. But it was really hard to get into the great Midwest championship and, you know, whatever the other leagues. I've even forgotten to, the, I forgot the league they were in with Memphis. What was that called? Conference USA. USA. Yeah, later, later, later known as later known as Conference ATM when (laughs) and Patino were coaching there. Uh, But I think the reconstituted Big East and and my covering college basketball experience at the Boston Herald took in Big East basketball from 1981 to about 1989. Sure. I was there for the original Big East. I was a member of the you know, the, the ungainly media horde in New York every year. I think the rebuilt Big East is one of the great things that happened to college basketball. Yeah. It's, I mean, I it's, it's back to what it was, which was a basketball conference. Mm-hmm. I would just wish they'd left, I wish they'd let Dayton in. Well, and I'm happy to see UConn back in. Yeah. But I think that, I think that's been a good thing. Nobody expected them to be able to be an independent forever. That just wasn't where the game was going. Yeah. But no, I think, I think the, you know, the fact that they, you know, they win a lot more than they lose. Uh, they're, you know, they're certainly worth following again. Uh, I mean, Marcus Mar- Marcus Howard was the first college basketball player I ever saw get 50 points in a game, and that happened two years ago. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think, you know, I think, it, you know, I, I give Crean a lot of credit for that, and I think that, you know, they're back, you know, to being at least in the national picture. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that, you know, certainly their ability to fill a building the size of the Bradley Center and now, 
you know, the new one. I mean, hell, I spent all my life going to the Milwaukee Arena. <laughs> it was a big deal when they got 10,000 people there. Al used to say that he used to come out and look in the, the, the highest row in the corner of each arena, of, 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 the, of each corner of the arena, because those were the worst seats in the building. And if they were filled, he did his job. And that was 10,000 seats. Look what they're drawing yeah. now. Is it my sense that you think – I know you're on market basketball Twitter to a certain extent. Is it my sense that you think people could use a little bit more perspective about just how bad it got from, you know, the early 80s through the late 90s? Oh, and, God, yes. Uh, and maybe not freak out as much about, you know, oh, Wojo's terrible. This is an embarrassment, all that. I, 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 th- I think, you know, I'm not uh, – I mean, I, I do think we're coming up on make or break years for Wojo because that's just the nature of college basketball coaching. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't like to say that because I don't like, in general, I don't like firing coaches. Right. Mm-hmm. But, and I think, you know, losing the Housers just blew out the tires in, in the entire building plan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, even in the days when, you know, we, we were losing them, we lost a player a year. Uh, to the ABA, NBA, you know, money wars. Mm-hmm. We lost Jones and then McNeil and then Lucas. Bing, 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 one year after another. And yeah. none of that was as bad as losing both houses in one year. Yeah. Uh, in what should have been at worst an elite eight year, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think, I, you know, I think he may get a year of grace because, you know, he's got to rebuild. But, I mean, I get the sense, and you guys would know this better than me, that there's something going on in the background of that program that's very strange. I mean, it, 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 it just, you know, with Crean, it was always, and I suspect it had to do with, you know, this, this, you know, this practice schemes he got from Izzo with the football drills, that somebody was always getting hurt at the end of the year, whether it was Jarrell McNeil's hand or, or Jarrell McNeil's ankle or Deaner's hand or something. Mm-hmm. But there's something happens to that team, to the current team in February and March. And I can't figure it out. For for example, the, the team two years ago, the one that lost to, to Seton Hall with the Housers and then lost to yep. Murray State. Yeah. Yep. Their whole season turned around after a, you know, a decent five point loss at Villanova. Right. Yep. That, that was. That I mean, was it wasn't the, like they got blown out, or you know, they lost to Stephen F. Austin or something. They lost by five points to the defending national champions in their mm-hmm. in the defending national champions' own building. Mm-hmm. Then everything went south all at once, and I've never heard an explanation for it. Yeah. Both two straight years. Uh, it start the really bad stretch started off with the road loss to Villanova that was understandable at the time. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, if you got time for one more, I think sure, one more. Ben, ben and I are uh, huge uh, Grantland nerds. R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. And I guess the specific question about Grantland would be sort of what was it like? Um, I just I did a little digging before this and saw that you also wrote for the National in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a I have a uh, there's an old Twilight Zone episode where this guy commits an unpardonable sin and he gets condemned to be immortality and the first thing he does is 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 
is book a passage on the Titanic, find <laughs> the iceberg, and then get picked up by the Lusitania. There you go. <laughs> so that's pretty much my that's my sports writing career in in, in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, I you know the National was I mean I've told people this over and over again the National was the best sports writing job I ever had. It was sure. extraordinary. Grantland was great. I mean I they called you know that Bill called me up. Bill Simmons called me up and. He said, we want you to write an old time sports column. You know, just, you know, go to games and write columns. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And at this point, I left the Boston Globe and I had taken the job doing the, the political blog at Esquire. So I was entirely online. I wasn't writing for dead tree publications anywhere. Right. And it was, it was a great thing. And I thought, you know, I really thought in, you know, the actions of the people in Bristol are inexplicable to smarter people than me. Yep. I really thought they'd keep it going after Bill left just to prove they could. I was very, uh, very surprised that they chloroformed it as quickly as they did. Mm-hmm. That was really shocking. At the National, we were constantly under, you know, under threat of, of going under. We lived with that. I lived with that for, at the Boston Herald for six or seven years too. They were always in financial trouble. But Grantland, I thought was a, I, I thought was a product. I really did. And I was shocked. It was fun. You know, if I wanted to go to a, you know, regional, they sent me to a regional. If I wanted to go to a hockey game in Toronto, they put me on an airplane. Yeah, that sounds like a and it was fantastic great gig. You know, a lot of really young, talented people. Yeah. So, you know, we, we only really got together once. I only went to, I only went to LA headquarters once. I went out, they were having the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. So I went out to LA and spent four or five days there and, and, you know, visited the office a couple of times. It's been crazy to see how, Everyone who wrote for Grantland has, you know, found their own pocket of success. Oh like, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was the diversity of talent there was really extraordinary, and that, that includes, you know, the people who went with Bill to the Ringer, and you know, the, I, you know, Jay Serrano and uh, the Holly and Molly show, Holly, Holly Anderson and Molly Lambert. I mean, they were all great, uh, and Bill had, Bill had. A great Bill was a great recruiter. Bill had a great eye for talent. Yeah, he still clearly does. He uh, he he turned that into his own uh, little windfall uh, in the last couple of months <laughs> with uh, yeah, with Spotify. You know, I think yeah. a lot of it had to do. He and I both came up pretty much the same way. We talked about this a couple of times. Uh, we both decided we didn't want to take, or couldn't take, or were being denied the old path. To conventional success, which was little newspaper, bigger newspaper, bigger newspaper, big newspaper. Mm-hmm. Right. I went through the alter, what was then called the alternative press at the Boston Phoenix. He went through the internet. He had the internet. He did the mm-hmm. same thing. He carved his own niche. He carved his own career. And I think he was very sensitive to talented young people who couldn't get a break. And I think he was. He was very inclusive in that regard, and I think it's it's one of his great gifts as an editor. That's amazing. Well, hey, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, anytime you want to come back on, open invitation, and hopefully we can get the program back to the standards it was at when you were in school. Hey, at this point, I just want to have a season. Yeah. <laughs> well, if that's great the point. first step, I suppose. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. See ya.